Okay. 1 Samuel 30. Let's go back to chapter 30. Like we said, David has just returned to Ziklag to realize that the Amalekites had burned down his town, taken captive his wives, his children. I don't, know if, I don't think he has any children yet. I don't think they're born until, until he's in Hebron. But his men's families. Uh, but David strengthens himself in the Lord, which is exactly what he should have done last week, back at the beginning of chapter 27, when he tells his heart the wrong thing. Remember how we talked about speaking truth to our heart last week? Now David does it. This time, he, he does strengthen himself in the appropriate way with the Lord. But I really want to press into this idea of what strengthening ourselves in the Lord means, because I really think it's key. And if we can figure this out and sort of have a game plan, I think we're going to be a lot better off. Because the truth of the matter is, we're going to face distressing situations. You know, if you're alive and your heart is beating, you are going to face difficulties. <laughs> a lot of them that you don't want to. Things are going to, to surprise you. I mean, we all have stories of things that we could share, of stuff that's just extremely disappointing in our lives. And I don't think that one day you're going to come home and... Um, find that your house has been burned down by your neighbors or we're not going to come to Tipton one day and to realize that Westfield came and burned our town down or uh, something like that. But I do think that there's going to be moments and you've probably all had moments where something's going to burn, you know, some dream that you've had is going to burn or you're going to get um, a phone call or you're going to get, um, uh, there's going to be a doctor's appointment or Something, some conversation is going to happen. There'll be a meeting that takes place, a text message, something on social media, and something gives. You know, there's just that moment that just gives, and it just feels like life is just burning down right then and there, right? I mean, we are going to have those moments. I don't think that you're going to go home tonight to realize that your family has been captured by people from Lafayette. You know, that's probably not going to happen, right? But, but... Many of us do have stories of family members who have definitely been captured by the devil, who have been led astray, who's, maybe, maybe it's parents, maybe it's kids, maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's family, maybe it's friends. There is spiritual application here. Well, things happen, and we're, we're floored. We're shocked. How, how could they do this? How could this happen? That's the kind of moment we can compare this distressing situation to. And what we choose to do in that moment is really vital for our spiritual lives. How we react in that moment, that's what we need to train ourselves for. Will we strengthen ourselves in the Lord or settle for some other coping method? Because we're going to cope. One way or another, we're going to cope. So if it's not with the Lord, it will be something else. <laughs> we will find a way. Psalm 46, 1 in Isaiah 41.10, two great verses. If you, just, if you need strength from the Lord right now, maybe you're going through something right now. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. In Isaiah 41.10, you probably know it. It's one of my favorites. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I love that three times he says, I will. I will, as if we didn't hear it. I will do this for you. 
And there is no one better to strengthen us than God. But how do we do that? Like, how do we really strengthen ourselves in the Lord? I think that's the real question. Well, the first thing we have to do, this is kind of a dead giveaway, but we have to go to him. You first of all have to go to the Lord when hard things happen. And it's so tempting to me to go a lot of other places before I go to the Lord. It's real easy when I'm real worried about something to hop on the internet and try and find an answer. Or it's real easy for me to call my mom. You know, I just want her to tell me that it's all going to be okay and it's going to be fine and she's going to buy me a new shirt. I don't know. Like, just make it better, mom. (laughs) Whatever it's going to be. You know, or it's easy for me to call and panic to Craig. But if my, the first, and we need each other. So don't hear me say that. We do need each other. That's why the Lord made us the body of Christ. Okay, I'm not saying that. But if I can train myself to go to the Lord first, It will save me a lot of angst in the end. He's the one who will truly strengthen me. However, what I do when I get to the Lord, when I go to him, also really matters, right? So if I simply complain to God and spend my entire prayer time panicking, which I have done many a times, I I go to the Lord, but the whole time I'm just panicking, all right? Then I'm not really going to the Lord. I'm not. I'm just stirring myself up in the name of Jesus. That's really what I'm doing. Because like you all were saying, you got to get quiet. You're not, I'm not really going to him. I'm just blaring at him what's wrong and in the blah, 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 blah. And he's like, Stacy, <laughs> would you just calm down a little bit? I'm just stirring myself up in the name of Jesus when I do that, right? So what do we do? We need to put some feet to this. And I thought of um, the comparison this week. You know, in elementary school, during fire safety week, I don't know if they still teach this or not, but they would teach you to stop, drop, and roll. Okay, I came up, and it's just the Lord's doing. It's all him, but with an equivalent to the Christian stop, drop, and roll, right? When those fires all of a sudden happen, we stopped, we're supposed to stop, drop, and roll. Okay, here's the equi- Christian equivalent, if I can say it. Number one, and Kayla hit the nail on the head earlier, we remember. That's your first thing. We remember who God is, what he has done, and all he has promised. We remember who God is, what he has done, and all he has promised. There is so much strength in remembering. Satan doesn't want us to remember. He doesn't want us to even look because we might find some encouragement. But there is a lot of strength in remembering. And this is where our Bibles are so critical. I mean, the more we're in God's Word, the more the Holy Spirit has to work with. You know, in John, it tells us that's one of his jobs, right? He, the Holy Spirit is reminding us of truth because that is a huge part of our strength is remembering who God is and what he's done and all the things that he's promised us. When we view our situation in the context of who God is and all that he's done, it shrinks. Our problems shrink. I want to try it, all right? So everybody, think of something that's just recently been really bothering you. Something that's just been weighing on you, pressing on you. (sighs) You just, you know, you find yourself taking really deep breaths a lot. If you got it in mind... Now listen to this, all right? I'm going to give you two verses, and I just want you to see how your problem shrinks, okay? 
Jeremiah 32, 27. Behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too hard for me? Whoosh. Okay, nothing's too hard for him. So my problem just shrunk a little bit. Number two, first, 1 Timothy 6, 15. Jesus is the blessed and only sovereign King of kings and Lord of lords. He is the only sovereign King of kings and Lords of lords. Okay, so we just remembered who God is. Our problem just shrunk. Okay, in the context of who God is. Just two verses, and do you see how it's already a little bit smaller? It doesn't quite feel as big as it maybe did before. Then add to that the remembrance of God's promises, and you've got walls up again against anxiety, against fear, against all the what-if scenarios that we love to replay in our heads over and over and over again. I know I'm not the only one that does that. <laughs> You've got walls up all of a sudden because you've remembered who God is, what he's done, and everything he's promised. And that's when you can say, okay, yeah, I can go through this because this is who my God is, and this is what he's done, and right here, this is what he's promised. He said this, and he said it to me. We remember. That's the first thing we have to do. Number two... And Jenna said this. I was so proud of you girls. We surrender. You remember and then you surrender. Not my will but yours be done. That's what Jesus said. And we need to follow Christ's example. We need to place the outcome of whatever is causing our distress in God's hands. And yet, nine times out of ten, I can honestly tell you that my distress over a situation is because I'm suddenly afraid something is not going to turn out the way I wanted it to, the way I planned it to, the way I decided would be best for my life. That's what's causing me stress, <laughs> nine times out of ten, because I've decided this is what's best, and now it may not happen. So if I surrender that outcome, though, to the Lord, man, it's a big relief. There's, and I remember who he is. Therefore, I can surrender because of who he is. It's just a lot easier. So how do you do that and still have hope and expectation? I think there is, that's a great question. I mean, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on that, but I think there's a way to say, I still desire this, Lord, but I'm going to give you the outcome. You know, because we can't always, I mean, we can't just say, okay, I don't want it anymore, you know, whatever it might be. But I think there is a way to say, I still want this, so I don't know how you're going to work this out, because this is what my heart really longs for, but I have to give you this. I mean, I know there's like physical things where people have like written it, and then they've stuffed it in a box and put it under their bed. And sometimes we have to do like physical things to help us mentally feel like, we're giving something to God. And I've done that before. I've written the Lord letters. I've written prayers. And I've put it in an envelope and I've put it somewhere. And like, okay, now you, it's yours. And that did help me. I mean, there's that temptation to constantly want to take it back and try and get in the way and do my own thing and hold on really tight. Um, but I just think it's honest talks with the Lord. I mean, what do you guys, you guys have thoughts on that? 
because you can't just make yourself stop desiring something. But I think there's a trust that's just waiting on him, you know, not trying to get in the way, not trying to push your own will, but just waiting for God's and then trusting that whatever the outcome is, it's going to be, it's going to be better. Mm-hmm. Trust. Yeah. I, I think that's her word for this year. Hey, perfect. <laughs> I think with me, too, um, I'm getting really good at recognizing my patterns. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, this is what I normally do. So I'm not going to go there again. That's so good. I think it's just being still long enough to say, to put on the brakes and say, I'm not going to do it this time and, and mm-hmm. give it to it. Mm-hmm. That's good. And I think that comes with like experiencing that strength of the Lord. And you're like, I want that peace I had last time. I don't want to feel like that. I know what I'm like when I'm like this, but do it again, Lord. You know, I think, you know, just, or just track that. Like, re- the struggle was last time. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. doing that again. Yeah. That's good. That's good. So, too, when you have a desire, you, you are still with Him and, you know, you surrender that desire to him. Sometimes it comes to to lot to faith, if you will. But sure. It's not actually what you were desiring. Mm. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I think uh, I guess I'm thinking in my own life, like when I've surrendered those desires, it is kind of interesting how he's replaced them sometimes with yeah. something else. Yeah. And then one day you're like, huh, that's kind of weird. <laughs> I'd rather have this now than this. <laughs> But until I actually surrendered that initial one, it's kind of like there was no room in my heart for him to place, to come in and place that, that desire that he wanted me to have. So these are all good. These are all really good thoughts, guys. Really good thoughts. Yeah, the reality is uh, that whatever we have in mind really may not be God's plan. You know, that's, that's what it comes down to and trusting in his, that his plan is better, that that's the walk of, of a disciple of Christ, uh, for sure, trusting in that. Or maybe it is God's plan, but he's going to take me in a completely different route uh, so that my faith will grow, so my trust will deepen, so that I will come out on the other side much stronger in him than I was before. So um, I thought of this little, I don't have, I only have one principle tonight, actually, but I have other things. So I thought of this little saying surrender ignites peace while control builds anxiety surrender ignites peace while control builds anxiety and I can speak from personal experience on that one (laughs) I see a lot of head shaking so I think a lot of us probably can but when I'm trying to control a situation I guess I I mean that's when the anxiety is brewing within me because I'm really trying to manipulate what's going on, and so I have to just hold on so it will happen a certain way. But if I just surrender it, surrender ignites peace a lot of times while control builds anxiety. But here's the problem. It's really hard to surrender if you don't first remember. And sometimes we're so clouded with anxiety that we aren't willing to stop and remember, and so we never actually surrender. So that remembrance comes first. It's like stop, drop, and roll, right? You gotta stop first before you can drop. <laughs> so we have to remember first before we can effectively surrender. Remember who your God is, and that's why you're surrendering to Him. 
the third piece of this puzzle. You ready? Worship. We remember, we surrender, and then we worship. And this is my favorite part. <laughs> worship is our rescue. It really is. It really is. Something changes inside of us when we get to a place of true worship. That something just, especially, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if you guys have experienced that. But I get back to a place of true worship. Something shifts inside of me. There, this is truly where I think the strengthening of the Lord really comes into play. When you get to a place where no matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you're experiencing, you're going to choose to worship instead of worry about it. That's, that's when you really feel God's presence and God's strength. And David did this really well. He worshiped the Lord in song over and over again, declaring God's goodness and kindness and sovereignty through worship. So we have so many songs that we can do the same thing. I love using David's words. And he did it even when he was in those really tough situations. And that's why he could sing those things, that God was his strength, and God was his hiding place, and God was his strong tower and his rock. I mean, he had so many great metaphors for us, but he experienced it because I do think David did this really well. In distressing situations, he would worship the Lord. When we worship in the middle of those seasons of uncertainty, that's when the enemy is silenced. That's when victory for us personally comes rushing in. You know, I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the moment right there, okay? Uh, and that's what the enemy would like to keep us from doing. Worship aligns our heart with what's true and right. It keeps our focus where it needs to be which is on God and his sovereignty and his holiness, uh, on, on our Lord, and he'll never forsake us, right? He'll never lead us, leave us. He's promised us this. That's what worship does for us. It just gets us focused back in that right direction. So if we want to experience the strength of the Lord in the midst of, of hardship, in the midst of life, in the midst of difficulties, we're going to have to get on our face and worship him. If you're not worshiping the Lord, I have a feeling you're also probably not experiencing the strength of the Lord. Those two really go hand in hand. So your principle, you pretty much already have it. We experience God's strength when we remember, surrender, and worship. We experience God's strength when we remember, surrender, and worship. We are going to face fires. We are going to face disappointments. But when we strengthen ourselves in the Lord, that's when fear turns to faith and pain turns to praise. So I want to do a little plug before we go on because this Saturday is our Bibles and Breakfast. And I'm the one that's doing the Bible study, the Bible part. I'm not doing the breakfast part, but the Bible part. <laughs> and we're going to dive into a story um, where a key player in Israel's history does this really well. He remembers, surrenders, and worship, worships. And we're going to look at that. And it's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. And it's off the beaten path a little bit. And I spent a lot of time in this passage. So 
when they asked me to speak and I asked the Lord what he wanted, this passage kept coming to mind and I was like, yay, because <laughs> I love that passage. So I don't know if any, can I do like a little, if anyone, is anyone not signed up that would want to come to Bibles and Breakfast? I see a hand. Okay. You already signed up. Okay. If anyone else wants to come and you don't want to raise your hand, then just let Emily know afterwards. <laughs> That's my little plug. So um, I think it's going to be a lot of fun digging into that. Okay, so remember, surrender, and worship. So if you remember nothing else tonight, I really just want you to go home with that. <laughs> and when that, when that moment strikes and you're just, you know, overwhelmed or disappointed or really struggling, like, I want to ingrain that in my head. No, remember, like they do with stop, drop, and roll, right? Remember, surrender, and worship. That's what I need to do right now. Remember, surrender, and worship. Okay, back to our text, back to David. (laughs) David does have complete victory over the Amalekites like we've already talked about. Not one person was lost. All are rescued, and the spoils of victory are huge from this. Uh, And there's some really great gospel parallels for us in this chapter. I don't know if you guys, did you guys pick up on any of those? As you read through it a little? I read it in commentary. You read it in commentary, yeah. Yeah, hey, that's totally, I'm, I'm good with that. I read it in commentary too. <laughs> the first thing I see as far as a gospel comparison here is that Christ also rescues us from captivity, right? And loses no one. No one is lost when, when Jesus comes in and rescues us. You can write down John six thirty nine. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. And also Hebrews 7.25. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. David definitely made intercession on behalf of his captured wives and uh, all of the other family members of his men, and Jesus does that for us daily, making intercession for us. But I just love, like, just there was this completeness to David's victory and how the, the text really stressed that. And then just thinking about the completeness of, of Jesus's um, victory over us, you know, and losing none of us, none of the, the um, beloved of God that, that are his. Like, he loses no one. All of us are going home with him. <laughs> That's pretty cool. The second thing I see as far as a gospel parallel here, Christ also gives gifts from the spoils of his victory. So we see David giving gifts equally to all without finding any fault, without any discriminating, and Christ does the same, right? He's not discriminating against us. I think I'll give you the Holy Spirit, but I won't give you the Holy Spirit. No, like his, the spoils of his victory are huge, and he gives to all of us. Um, Ephesians... 4, 8, which is actually quoting Psalm 68, 18, but it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. So specifically in that Ephesians passage, it's actually referring to our pastors and elders and church leaders. So um, because I want brownie points, Emily, you can tell Mike that I said this, uh, but our pastor, like your pastor is a gift from the Lord according to that passage. So our elders, our leaders, our church, um, the men who lead this church, they are, are God's gifts to us. 
that's kind of a neat way to think about that. But the spoils of Christ's victory are so vast and so much, you know, even beyond that. There's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, right? I mean, we could go through the first chapter of Ephesians and list all kinds of spoils of victory that Christ is handing us, adoption, inheritance, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit is God's gift to us, just to name a couple of them. So I thought that was really neat also. And to kind of draw back to what we talked about last semester, do you guys remember how we talked about how, how uh, Saul was a king like all the other nations who would take, 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 right? <clears throat> Samuel really stressed that back in 1 Samuel 8 when Israel first asked for a king. He will take, 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 take. Well, I just love that here the text is stressing how David is giving, giving, giving. That's cool. He is giving to all of his men equally, no matter who's being mean to whom and who did the work and who didn't. And then he's also giving gifts to the neighboring towns down there in Judah. He's giving gifts. It's just really cool how it's portraying David, who is in many ways a picture of Christ for us, as a king who gives. I loved that part. Now, as we prepare to say goodbye to Saul, because this is the last I know you're all sad, but this is the last night that we're really going to talk about Saul. I want to draw your attention to one, uh, well, a couple more interesting facts about him as, as we start to wrap things up tonight. But um, did you pick up who David is fighting against here? Did, did that click with anybody? He's fighting against the Amalekites. So do you guys remember back in chapter 15 who Saul, who God instructed Saul to fight against, but then he failed? It was the Amalekites. Same people group. So you just kind of see things come full circle here. I think it's the Anakim who you're thinking of. Those are the tall giants. These are the Amalekites. But it's the same group. And so now what you see is David coming and fulfilling what Saul did not do. Completely uh, destroying these people as God had told them. God said go in and get rid of all of them. Yes. And they didn't get rid of all of them. Yes. And they kept the spoil. Yes, this is the group. And this is when the tables really turned for Saul, and God rejected him because of this, that he did not follow his, the instructions of the Lord, specifically to take out the Amalekites. It was holy war is what it was. So, yes, if you want to go back, that's chapter 15. So it's just interesting how we've come full circle, and it's the Amalekites here that David is, is fighting against, right, of all people. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Um, okay, we only have a few, don't have too much longer left, so I might skip ahead a little bit here. I want to note um, the beginning of chapter 31, then, is, is when the Philistines do defeat Israel, and Saul's death, like we talked about, was actually a suicide. And we already noted that during our discussion time. But I, I want to just draw attention to the fact that the Philistines did not remove Saul from his throne, Right? David did not remove Saul from his throne. Saul removed himself from his throne. He fashioned his own downfall, not only here with a sword, but through his faithlessness and his disobedience. He really brought all of this onto himself. And I'm going to come back to that here in just one second. Um, My commentary said, as Saul lived, so he died, proud and jealous. Yeah, yeah, that is really good. 
Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that came full circle also. And then it, it well, it it's also comes full, full circle because then in the first chapter of 2 Samuel, what's the nationality of the guy who comes and claims to have killed Saul? It's an Amalekite, actually. It's an Egyptian that came and showed them where the Amalekites were. But he's an Amalekite who comes claiming to have killed Saul. So get this irony, okay? Saul lost his kingdom because he plundered the Amalekites against God's strict orders, chapter 15. Now, an Amalekite has plundered him because this Amalekite brought, like, the armlets. Did he bring the crown, too? So it says to David. So, so ironically, now an Amalekite has plundered Saul. And then this is an interesting twist too. Saul claimed to have wiped out the Amalekites, but obviously he did not. Now an Amalekite claims to have wiped out Saul, but obviously he did not. Isn't that kind of interesting? I mean, just the the irony in scripture and and how it all fits together is just really amazing it's really amazing i want to also draw your attention to the fact that um with david's lament okay there's it's kind of neat because it comes like first and second samuel are actually all one book originally so what you have is hannah's prayer in the beginning which we've referred to a lot and then we have david's lament right here in the middle of the whole book, right? And then at the end, in chapter 22, David's going to have a song of praise also. So you have a song in the, the beginning, the middle, and the end. And when you take a bird's eye view and you look at that, um, uh, Hannah's prayer talks a lot about God reversing things. If you guys remember that, she says, the Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. So she, she's like warning people, basically, you know, God is sovereign, you better watch out. And he does all these things. So here we have the song about God reversing things. Now in the middle, three times in his lament, David talks about how the mighty have fallen. The mighty have fallen. So you see the start of that reversal. And then at the end, when David praises God at the end of 2 Samuel, he talks about how the lowly are raised. So you kind of, you guys see that? You kind of see this bird's eye picture of this whole thing playing out, of how Hannah's song really has been a table of contents for us. Halfway through, then, we lament that the mighty have fallen, and at the very end, we're praising God because the lowly are raised. So I thought that was just kind of interesting perspective there. It's really a perfect summary of the events of Samuel, that the mighty have fallen and the lowly are raised. Um, remember, even physically, Saul had been a head taller than everyone else, right? And supposedly David it uses, the, uses the wording that he's the, the smallest of all of his brothers. And maybe he truly was in stature small, but it also could just be talking about how he, he was despised. He was lowly as far as his family was concerned. Uh, but, but God raises the lowly. God brings down the mighty. They have fallen. You see these reversals take place. So here's what I get out of that. You're like, okay, but where are you going with this? <laughs> All right. God will have his way. That's what I see there. God will have his way. So again, it just kind of goes back to the fact like, okay, if God's going to have his way anyway, then let's just go ahead and surrender and worship. 
<laughs> because he's going to have his way. So we might as well surrender. We might as well just remember surrender and worship instead. Our job then is not to try and figure out how God is going to write history. He's going to write it however he wants to write it. He has that under control even when it you know, doesn't look like it. Our job is simply to follow him and to be involved however he wants us to be involved with what he is doing. Now when you look at, uh, when you compare Saul to David, what, what you get is these two kingdoms. You kind of get a picture of two kingdoms, right? Uh, you get a worldly one and a godly one. And next week we're really going to see that come to a head after Saul's death. It's a mess, you guys. Like chapters two, three, and four of Second Samuel. I mean, we're going to go all the way to chapter five because I got to have something else other than chapters two, three, and four. <laughs> it's just everybody's killing everybody. Like it was not an easy transition to power by any means for David. So um, but what you see, though, is these two kingdoms really come to head. You have Saul and then you have David. All right. And Saul portrays for us the worldly kingdom. David portrays to us the godly kingdom. Now, there's the trajectory then from what you see here about the mighty falling is that the worldly kingdom is falling. The godly kingdom is rising. It doesn't always look like that, does it? Even today, it does not. It does not. It looks like we're going to fall, right? So we're, we're going to have a choice to make. If we, we haven't had much choice to make yet. We've had it pretty easy. But I don't know if that will continue. I don't know 10, 20 years from now what, our, what this kingdom is going to look like. And our Christian Christianity has been so entwined with, Amer- with our lives as Americans. It's been pretty easy. But there are two kingdoms in this world. There is an, a worldly kingdom and there is a godly kingdom. And we are to live as part of the godly kingdom of God, right? And we have to remember that that one is on the upward trajectory, just like what God was doing here in Samuel, and the worldly one is on the downward trajectory. We don't want to find ourselves here. We want to find ourselves here, <laughs> even though it might be really hard to live in the, as a, a godly um, follower of Christ in a fallen world. That's going down, right? Okay, the problem is, a lot of Christians try to live both. They try to stay in the middle. They want both worlds, right? And I honestly think that's kind of what Saul tried to do. Saul tried to have both worlds. It did not work out for him. I was really, and I don't know, I mean, I looked at several different commentaries, but surprised last week when in 1 Samuel 28, 19, Samuel actually says to Saul, which I think we kind of touched on it, but he says to him, tomorrow you and your son shall be with me. He could have just said, tomorrow you'll, you're going to die. And maybe that means that he did just die, but he said, you'll be with me. You know, and that made me stop and think. So is Saul in heaven? I mean, after he killed all the priests at Nob and tried to kill David. But Saul did start with God's spirit. Saul had a you know, great beginning. I don't know. We don't know if Saul's in heaven. But it was just, it just made me stop and think a little bit. And as I thought more about Saul, then I thought, okay, well, if he, he, if he is in heaven, he was a really miserable follower of God. 
extremely miserable. I mean, he was. He was a miserable man. <laughs> and sadly, I do think that's where a lot of believers, if they're believers, hopefully they're believers, but a lot of Christians will find themselves still really miserable. And I think it's because they're just trying to live too much in the world. And they're not choosing that to live in God's kingdom and for God's kingdom. They're trying to play it safe right here, which I think is what Saul did. I think when I read that, I, I thought, I didn't think of him being in heaven. I thought of him being in a state of no longer. That could be, God, yeah. Which I don't really care either way. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to judge Saul. So. I know, we don't have to. No, it just, it was. It's interesting to think about, it is interesting. you know, and just, but I, I yeah. think about a lot of um, just people that I know that I'm like, I know you know the Lord, but you seem so miserable. Why are they so, I mean, yeah. you know, but why, why are you so miserable? I, I wrote down five things and we know Saul was disobedient. We know Saul was unwilling to repent However, we, Saul did know who the Lord was. He did try and cry out to the Lord on several occasions, but God wouldn't answer him because of his sin, right? So I, I don't know. We don't know. But like Saul, I just wonder if there's a lot of believers today who are miserable for maybe some of the same reasons. The first one being they use God but aren't pursuing God. They pray when they want something. They pray when things aren't going right or when they're scared. But God is not their joy. God is not their hope. God is not their daily pursuit. And yet it's only God who will satisfy the true longing of our souls, right? He's the only one who can truly satisfy us. So Saul desired God's help without desiring God. And I think that is where a lot of of believers can fall is we, des- we desire God's help without actually desiring God. But without God, life is miserable. <laughs> and when, when we're not living in accordance with the spirit that God has given us, I think we're, we're, we find ourselves just miserable because of that. The second thing, they believe in God but lack trust in God. When we don't live with trust in the Lord, I, I think we just make ourselves more miserable. They believe in God, but lack trust in God. Saul obviously believed God was real. And Saul was even jealous. If we, if we think back to chapter 18 of 1 Samuel, Saul was even jealous when God was with David instead of him. He was envious that God was with him. Although I think it's because he wanted to use God for his own purposes, but he was envious of that. But did Saul trust God? We, did not, we never saw Saul trust. He didn't trust God. He continually sought to make his own way, and it didn't work. Remember, surrender ignites peace, right? He never surrendered, so he didn't have peace. Number three, they do not make obedience to God a priority. I think we make ourselves miserable when we choose not to obey God. And Saul definitely did that. That was, obedience was definitely not Saul's top priority. Saul was Saul's top priority. <laughs> but that's not how it works. Psalm 128.1 says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. So no matter how hard it might be 
to obey, there is joy in obedience. There is. I remind myself of that a lot. You know, if I'm obeying God, there will be joy in this. There is misery, though, in disobedience. The fourth thing, they ignore the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That just makes us miserable. Saul had the gift of the Holy Spirit to begin with, but eventually God removed his spirit from him, which I always like to put in aside. God does not do that today. <laughs> he does not take his spirit from us. But at the beginning, with the spirit in him, Saul had equal opportunity to be a godly king just like David. God gave him all the right things that he needed, and yet Saul ignored the spirit that was within him. And sadly, I think a lot of believers today quench the work of the Holy Spirit within them. Just like Saul, by choosing instead to live in their flesh. By choosing instead to live for themselves all the time and just quench that spirit. Not, not take notice of that. And the fifth thing, they refuse to live a life of repentance. Repentance seems really scary sometimes, but it's not. God is on the other side of repentance. That's the beautiful thing about repentance. He's on the other side. So whether Saul was a believer or not, whether he's in heaven or not, we don't know. But I do think there are some of his characteristics here that we could take and make parallels with and go, yeah, that makes me miserable. That's, that's pretty miserable when I don't repent, when I ignore the Holy Spirit, when I don't choose obedience to God, when I choose myself instead, when I don't trust God, and when I'm just using God and not pursuing God. We want the strength of the Lord. We need the opposite of those things, right? So no matter where you're at tonight, whether you're finding yourself like more on the trajectory of David or Saul, whether... Um, things have been going great or whether things have been really hard or you've been struggling with a lot of difficulties. It doesn't matter no matter where you're at. I think the call is the same for all of us and it goes back to our little mantra. Remember, surrender, and worship. If Saul had done that from the beginning, he would have been a lot better off and a lot less miserable in his life. Remember, surrender, and worship the king Strengthen yourself in the Lord, not the world. That's not what's going to give you strength. So I'll pray. Father, thank you for your word. Oh, thank you for the privilege of studying it, Lord. I just pray that um, as we leave here tonight, you'll just continue to work in our hearts. Grow us, Lord. Just help us be more like you. We want to know you. We love you. Deepen our trust in you, Father. This week, I just pray that you will bring to mind uh, remember, surrender, and worship. And just help us put that into place, Lord, as we walk forward in obedience to you. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.